Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with musician and producer Lucas Drinkwater. You can find more information about Lucas on his website at lucasdrinkwater.com and you can find me and the projects I work on at robertlaymusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lay Music. It would mean a lot to me if you could subscribe to the podcast, like it, share it, comment on it, review it, because doing all of those things helps more people to find it in the future. Here's my conversation with Lucas Drinkwater. Hi, Lucas. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Robert. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, all things considered. It's it's one of those times when asking someone how they are, you really kind of really mean it, don't you? It's quite a weighted question yeah. at the moment. you got to brace yourself for some uh, difficult answers as well. There's a lot of struggle happening right now. There is, isn't there? I mean, for context for anyone listening in, so recording these at the moment is kind of interesting because obviously all that anyone is thinking about is the current situation that we're in. So we're sort of a few days into the official lockdown in the UK because of the coronavirus. I'm saying all this because anybody who might be listening in months or years' time hopefully will be at the other end of it and all will seem fairly quaint, I hope. (laughs) This Um, might be the time capsule that people go back to to refer to this period. (laughs) It may well be or it might be that no one will ever listen to this stuff because like, oh no, I don't want to be reminded of all that again. I don't like, (laughs) don't mention the war maybe, I don't know. Um, But yeah, we're a few days in but I think most of us certainly in the music and the creative world had had our uh, way of life changed fairly significantly before the official lockdown. How had it affected the things that you were working on? Well, I've been quite lucky timing-wise in that I'd just come to the end of a tour about three days before it all kicked off. Mm. Um, it did it did affect ticket sales in the sort of last part of the tour because people were becoming more aware of it. But mm. um, yeah, so that was that was a downer. Um, but also a lot of my work is recording work. I run a studio and yeah, there's just been everything's cancelled. So that's all of my all of my work. I've got I do a lot of remote stuff, so I've got some things going on still, but not probably only about ten percent of my work is still happening. So yeah, and it's um, it's a challenge, isn't it? But because as I've said this to a few people, one of the things I was finding difficult about it because I was on a joint headline tour with Minnie Birch at the time, and we were kind of halfway through. Yes, um, and it's this thing of because before it was the official, like all of the pubs and stuff will have to close when it was just we advise you not to go to them. That left decisions in the hands of promoters and artists, and um, you know punters so there was this moment of like the traditional thing is the show must go on you know keep calm and carry on but it was quite a different situation to normal wasn't it and i think when we cottoned on that actually possibly you were asking people to put themselves in danger by carrying the show on it it felt quite different didn't it to normal yeah and i think there's a lot of pressure on people to keep on putting on the show for those who are willing to attend Mm. so we had um what we had one gig that cancelled the venue cancelled not us it was me and, and my wife emily we we tour together sometimes and 
we did a couple of shows um, and people were a bit worried and then we had one that cancelled and it was the venue that cancelled it and it's sad this but we actually both felt a sense of relief that it was mm. the venue that cancelled it not us because we felt there might be some judgement on us being too cautious and then it would be our fault that the thing didn't go ahead and yeah. uh, and it's so much has changed in the last couple of weeks since that happened that I now feel foolish for worrying about that actually caution is everything now mm. It just yeah. how quickly as you say things have changed the whole sort of zeitgeist of the way people are <clears throat> looking at this stuff, isn't it? Because I had the same thing. It'd be like, well, I d- I personally don't know if this show should be going ahead, but I don't want to let people down. And it is that usually under normal circumstances, if you're a bit under the weather, as say the show must go on and you plough on and you do it anyway. But it, and of course, none of us have have lived through a situation like this before, so we're all kind of making it up as we go along, aren't we? Exactly. And I think you have to sort of expose your nature a bit in a time like this. So you, you if you're a naturally cautious person, I think I am a cautious person. Um, so my my feeling is that we just shouldn't be taking any risks when it comes to health. But I, mm. I feel slightly embarrassed about that. I feel like I'm a bit of a bit of a classic um, wuss of some kind. So, um, yeah. I mean, the whole panic buying situation seems to say quite a lot about people and human nature as well, doesn't it? I, I have a feeling that it's people are all right generally, and it's it's just the shock of the new and people not quite knowing how to react to things. Because I think it's been the same the world over from what yeah. I can tell as well. I think the the biggest worry for a lot of people I know is going a bit crazy being locked in the house mm. there's um most of the people that i know are pretty sensible and are just doing what they can for us it's been a uh for my wife and i it's been a great opportunity to sort of catch up on household things mm. we've actually just sold our house and are in the process of buying a house at the oh, moment wow, so okay. it's all it's all a bit up in the air and it's yeah, it's put a damper on that but it's given us an opportunity to sort through all of our things and you know get up in the loft and sort through all the boxes that have been there for years and i'm catching up on a lot of studio work and projects that i was meant to finish a while ago so i it might be a an unpopular thing to say but i currently am enjoying it because it's affording me the opportunity to crack on but i know a lot of people are just going a bit crazy and i feel sorry for those who've got kids stuck at home with them because uh yeah Kids need to be out and about running around, don't they? Yeah. And if you can't give them that, then it's really difficult. And I imagine it's probably um, putting a lot of strain on families. But yeah, yeah, it's a long day, <laughs> I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Particularly people who are also trying to work from home and do all that kind of stuff as well. Um, it's, it's yeah, fairly tricky. But hey, so um, talking about creativity, then it it will be interesting to see how this situation affects that and. There's a lot of talk at the moment. There's that tweet, isn't there, like, you know, when Shakespeare was locked away during the plague, he wrote, I don't know, was it Hamlet? He's like, oh, great, no pressure pressure there then. We've all got to do Hamlet now. Well, I think there's already been a backlash against that expectation, and I've seen a few tweets from people. um, I can't remember who, but somebody uh, told me about this the other day because – all the music fans are saying, well, great, this is, I can't wait to hear all the songs that come out of this. And I think mm. a lot of musicians are actually feeling quite arrested with um, with insecurity and paranoia right now because mm. you don't know whether the music scene's going to start up again as it was before. And there are quite a lot of us who are full-time musicians. We're really just scraping by even when we're in times of feast. So it's going to take a long time for this to recover. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are just paralysed with worry, actually, and can't, just get creative um that easily 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair enough to say. And everybody's this situation is so new that everybody's just got to find their own way of coping with it. And there's there's the worries of you know your health and the health of the people that you know and all this kind of stuff and are we all doing the right thing that's the am i behaving in the right way the advice is there am i following it correctly does it mean this does it mean that so and that's just for everybody let alone trying to do something creative at the same time i guess yeah it's a weird I mean, I don't one know about you so do, do you feel at all like maybe being a creative having a great creative output this time might even be um slightly selfish <laughs> Uh, this is, I have a feeling like this, like maybe I should be doing something more for the community and for people who are really struggling rather mm. than just indulging my songwriting now. <laughs> that's that's what I'm yeah, I going think through. That leads into something that I find really interesting in general before this anyway, which is at some level, what is this stuff for? So when you're being creative, <laughs> like I think everybody goes to this at certain points, don't they? I wonder if you have that like, what is, yeah, what's it for? Is this for? Is this helping someone? Is this a selfish thing? And I think all of those things are ever present for um, artists, but certainly in a situation like this, I keep thinking about this. So my my wife is an intensive care nurse, so she's going to be like right at the sharp end of this. And my wow. sort of important role at the moment is driving her to and from work. <laughs> That's kind of at the moment is my contribution to this crisis. And it's like, well, this is a little bit like it, a war. And I kind of thought of well, thought this, if there was going to be a war in my lifetime, I sort of thought I would be doing more than driving <laughs> the soldier to <laughs> and from work. Be, so, I, yeah, I'm finding a that war a bit taxi. like, is there something else that I'm meant to be doing? But it's still quite early days, I think. And like I say, it's just a matter of finding your feet with it a little bit. Yeah, I think everyone... Everyone that I know, I live in a beautiful place in uh, Stroud in Gloucestershire and there's a great sense of community here. And Mm. what happened almost immediately upon lockdown was a load of friends put a WhatsApp group together for our street and surrounding streets. And just we went around leafleting all of our neighbours to see if anyone needed any help in any way. Um, If I can go and get shopping for vulnerable or elderly people that don't want to take the risk of going out shopping themselves. And actually, Mm -hmm. that's been my job a bit this week my my wife and i have been going out and doing shopping for people mm-hmm. and delivering it and that's i did some this morning and that's uh and and a few days ago and i'm sort of keeping myself a bit busy doing that because yeah. at least i know it's contributing something and i'm also you know still getting on with bits of creative work as well but it's like you said it's an ever present question you sort of wonder when you're faced with well in your case your wife who's doing this crucial job mm. a, a key worker as the government yep. have suddenly <laughs> decided to call them yeah um and yeah of course you have this this crisis of purpose which is i think quite normal to have for anyone at some point in their lives and um to have it right now seems a very reasonable time to have it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think so but but certainly for um for anybody who makes something because it, it's this thing isn't it about what art yes you know, what art is for and what let's just stick to music but what music is for and there's and who is it for because <laughs> i think there's this thing i've talked to with people before about it's quite a weird thing really to stand on stage and just expect of people that they're going to listen to you for 45 minutes you know discussing your thoughts yeah. and the the music that you've created and it's quite a weird thing and then expect them to listen to it and clap and then even maybe buy it off you as well <laughs> even in in the best of times like have you but you do so much work with so many different people as well in different sort of um guises are those questions that have come up for you before or is it just a matter of 
carrying on and doing it? Well, for me, I, I feel it's a bit different because most of the time I'm an accompanist and a producer and a session musician. And so I I feel like I'm quite lucky in that I get to enjoy the performance, the creativity and all of that without the pressure of the marketing. So I don't mm. have to be the person selling it. I don't have to be the person sort of pleading with people to buy the product, to buy the CD, to come to the shows. Yeah. I'm usually hired as a double bassist or a guitarist or whatever. And uh, I just, yeah, I get hired by the musicians to do that so I feel quite lucky in doing that and when I am doing my own thing I tour with my own duo Jacob and Drinkwater and we've just come off a tour and it it does feel it's a very different feeling when I'm the one who's on stage selling the product as opposed to just performing the 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 music as a as a hired hand um I I really do feel the value in it because I think the type of thing that we do, um, singer-songwriters, people who create really um, connection-based art uh, or music, especially in our case, when you have those conversations with people after the gig or during the interval when you're selling CDs or at the bar or whatever, and people tell you their great experiences at the shows that they've Mm. been to or other gigs they've been to and the feelings they've had from it or the CD they took home that they can't stop listening to when they're feeling down and it picks them up. And it, to me, that really reinforces the value of what we're doing. And I don't, I don't really have a massive question about what is the point of music or who is it for, because I've seen the amount of joy it brings. I've been a music teacher in the past. I've done um, I used to perform regularly in a in a residential home for el- for the elderly where I lived in Cornwall, and I've seen the the therapeutic benefits of music in so many different circumstances. And I've travelled around the world as a busker as well, and I've just seen the joy that it brings. And I never have any doubt about the value of music, but just sometimes the um, the sort of pantomime of we get on stage now and we mm. tell our jokes and sing our songs and then we leave the stage and then you shout more and then we pretend that we won't go to play anymore and the whole encore pantomime is a bit bizarre. There's a certain um, procedure and protocol that I sometimes think is a bit strange. But mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess as well that this kind of... Um the change in just the industry, as well, all creative industries, but particularly music from this idea of an artist creates records that then sells, you know, possibly bazillion copies. And you maybe see them at a concert, but they're this strange kind of mystic figure, other, you know, famous person. But then the the circuit, well, talk for myself, but I guess it's the same for you as well. The circuit seems a bit smaller than that in terms of the audiences and stuff, but actually maybe it's a bit more connected and it's a bit closer. So you do have those relationships with people who are into your music where you, you've met them and you know a bit about them and they have perhaps invested you in, invested in you in a slightly different way perhaps than it would have been in the past. Um, yeah, certainly. Or maybe not just in the past, but on a different level. Like, I, yeah. I guess if you're touring on a on a high level, you don't really get the opportunity to connect with each and every person in the audience. But uh, I sometimes like to joke about the fact that I've made a real point of not getting too successful so I can keep that connection going. I mean, I'd hate <laughs> to be famous. It would be awful, wouldn't it? You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't get a chance to chat to all the audience after the show. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> I decided about not to be famous. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we made that exactly to keep it Yeah, small. no, it really... It would be unsuitable to a uh, a man of my disposition. <laughs> but but I, I certainly think that one of the main reasons that I carry on 
doing what I do is because I love that sense of community, mm. um, not just the gratification of bringing something really um, vital emotionally to audiences who come to the shows. And they obviously come to the shows because they love that because it is vital to them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just the number of friends I've made at the gigs who are other musicians or gig goers who've become mates. And now pretty much everyone I know I've met through being a musician and I don't know if I would have had such a great time yeah just making friends around the world if I was a um, a telesales marketing guy <laughs> I'm not sure yeah and the opportunity to see a lot of places as well I guess you know if you're touring a lot um oh yeah for minutes at a time sometimes yeah yeah, yeah. just yeah <laughs> through the back of a car window <laughs> but there's yeah there's yeah. places that you get to go to that you wouldn't have done perhaps just for the sake of visiting them. Absolutely. And if you are a touring musician and you find yourself going from town to town every night, I I think one of the greatest joys for me is having a sort of having a mission when you go to a new place and go, right, I'm going to, I don't know, check out the charity shops or mm. uh, find where the best, for me, it's find the best place to go swimming because I'm a oh, cool. very keen outdoor swimmer. So me and Tobias, who I tour with, we are both really into wild swimming. And we we actually did a tour a couple of years ago called the Waters of England tour. Oh, and we had a 21, 21 dates, I think, or 20 dates. And for every gig on the tour, we asked people on our mailing list and through our social media to recommend places local to the gigs uh. for us to go swimming. And we invited people to join us as well. And just having a sort of an extra purpose other than just driving from venue to hotel to venue to hotel and, and you know service station stops in between but actually adding another adding another layer of exploration to it was amazing and people love getting involved with stuff like that as well don't they because it's that thing of when a, a an artist comes and visits their area people have a certain um ownership about their areas don't they so if the artist is asking you know what's the best your place has to offer so if it's the fact of where can i go swimming that's great they love being able to say oh here you know this is the place to go and and then come and join in i think all of those things are what can make it much more special i guess than people just turn up in a room to watch a musician absolutely it becomes a a conversation then rather than just a a a one-way delivery Mm. and you know i feel the same if if a musician that i love is coming to play near me i will automatically get in touch and invite them around for a cup of tea or see if they'd want to come and visit my studio or just yeah i'm always reaching out to try and make connections with people anyway as a as a fellow musician but i i really like it when as a touring musician people get in touch and say hey, if you can get here early enough, I'll give you a guided tour. And that sort of thing has yeah. happened quite yeah. a few times, strangely, where people just volunteer their time to show you around and to give you a bit of a history of the place or or whatever. And it's, yeah, because so many times, for me anyway, if, when you, particularly if you're on your own touring around, there's points where you, you don't really see anyone or speak to anyone other than at the gig. And then that's kind of a fairly short part of the day sometimes actually if you're spending the day traveling so just a a, a, fr- a friendly port where someone offers a cup of tea is quite can mean quite a lot can't it when you're on those long jaunts absolutely although i don't i tend not to do much by myself so i'm I'm quite lucky in that respect well then it's like having half an hour away from the person you've been stuck on tour with <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> person you're stuck in a car with all day every yeah day. exactly yeah. like you can't stand out and eat breakfast anymore so it's different it's good to see someone else's face in those points <laughs> um picking up on something you said earlier which i thought was interesting about the the not being the the marketer so much if you're um 
playing for somebody else's project. But then was it the case when you were starting off in that world that there was a certain amount of marketing to become the person who was playing on people's music? How did you start those connections or was it like a, a friendship circle? I don't, I don't really recall having any kind of strategy. I'm 35 years old now and I've been a, a full-time musician all my life. And I, I started out just playing in, playing in pub bands and things when I was a teenager and in Cornwall where I grew up. And I, from there, I think I just developed my skills as a musician as much as possible and made a point of playing in as many different bands as I could and um, offering myself around for projects because I've just always been thirsty for thirsty for learning new music as much as mm. possible. And I really enjoy the challenge of depping with bands. If they, you know, someone needs a bass player at the last minute, I'll learn a 20-song set on the day. And I, I really enjoy doing things like that. And so as a result, I sort of developed my mimicry skills and my performance skills on on numerous instruments and the mm. being a session musician thing sort of grew out of that but only really by accident by playing in bigger and bigger bands until uh i think my name just got around and obviously playing a rarish instrument as well like double bass yeah. there aren't that many double bass players so i people just asked me to play on their albums which is great and that's when i it clicked and i went well maybe i should actually offer to play on people's albums and make that a sort of business strategy mm. um and that's yeah and probably about seven or eight years ago i decided that i was going to push that angle a bit more and i've never really advertised it i've never paid for advertising or taken out an ad in a musicians union magazine or anything but uh, mostly every musician i meet i just always say look if you need any double bass let me know <laughs> that's very willingly offering myself around um yeah and it's has that been quite a varied range of projects then i mean i know that it has but any, anyone listening in just give <laughs> us kind of an idea of the different um circumstances that that has led you to well uh all sorts of things i mean my main thing is that i play folk and jazz i actually started out really as a jazz musician um i played gypsy jazz django reinhardt stuff uh, on guitar for years then i actually studied a jazz degree for a couple of years i didn't complete it and so that was my thing and so i ended up mostly playing folk and jazz for years and years but i've ended up on like hip-hop albums mm. and um playing with orchestras i play with a band called the people string foundation which is a a band that sometimes expands up to a 32-piece orchestra and does shows at the minac theater and you know big big theatres all around the country um, or all around Europe, in fact. And I just, I love the fact that I don't have a specific genre that I'm part of because I think I'd get bored to death if I only did one thing. Yeah. But yeah, I did recently did a jazz hip hop album with a producer that I work with in Cornwall quite a lot called Gareth Young. And Gareth's worked with the Sugar Babes and people like that. And he's got a list of uh, gold discs and platinum discs on his wall. But he produces such a wide range of stuff. And I'm actually working with him right now on a, on a pop album which i love working on pop music because mm. it means i have to research a different genre than i would naturally listen to to find the appropriate part to play for a song and it just broadens my horizons every time i get asked to do a different thing i did a punk album a few years ago and i'm aware that i'm probably a bit too well spoken to be a punk musician <laughs> but i really enjoyed learning how to play punk bass for mm. that album it's great was that double bass still then, or electric bass? I did some double bass, but that was mostly electric bass. And I, I play electric bass and have for years, but mm. this was one I had to play with a plectrum, and I've never played bass with a plectrum before. It's oh, weird. Wow. 
and I've not done it since. <laughs> it's such a that thing with the plectrum playing bass with a pick for the first time. Like it's amazing. One of the great things about music is you can always be a student, can't you? And there's always new things to explore. And I think one of the things that I've noticed when musicians don't seem that happy is when they aren't a student anymore. Um, they've found something that works for them and then feel a pressure to continue in that vein. And I think you've, most people feel they've really got to be trying new things and learning at the same time. Yeah, I've, I think the musicians that I admire the most are the ones who push their own boundaries a lot and mm. are willing to try things they're not very good at. I think it's always useful to um, maybe be trying to learn a new instrument that you're not an expert on because if you become amazing at one thing then you can probably get lazy quite easily mm. so i'm i'm surrounded by instruments here at the studio that i'm mediocre at and every now and then i need to play cello on a recording or something and i have to then spend an entire day just playing scales on a cello to get myself back in tune again before i can start recording and it's very humbling when you're um basically a bit crap at loads of different things <laughs> <laughs> playing with gigs and stuff are you do you feel that you are in a comfort zone for doing that or do you try and do things that are because I guess recording is a little bit different if you're playing live are you trying to do stuff where you you're kind of the edge of discomfort or do you prefer to be comfortable when you're doing that I think when I perform live I really enjoy trying new things on stage on the the two instruments I'm most comfortable with being guitar and double bass I I improvise a lot when I play with my duo with Tobias and when I play with Emily, my wife in her band as well. And there's a lot of freedom to try new things. And I like doing that, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to set myself challenges that might fail at mm. gigs because I don't want to ruin the, don't want to ruin the show for everyone else. But yeah, yeah. you're right in the studio, you can get away with trying totally absurd things. And if you do it 30 times in a row, then you'll probably get it right. But you don't want to be doing that at a gig because, you know, people have to listen to you get it wrong 29 times. And it's, <laughs> that's not really fair. Particularly if it's but somebody else's do... project as well, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I do actually, I play solo gigs probably only two or three times a year. And whenever I do that, I find myself going the opposite way. I really want to practice and make sure that I know exactly what I'm doing and I don't want to take any risks with that because mm. I've got no one else to lean on. Mm. And in terms of those collaborations, how, I mean, that is itself is quite a massive skill that some people find easier than other, other, others, I think, to, to collaborate with people. And you do it with so many people. Is that a skill that you always had or is it something that's had to kind of develop? I think anyone can learn music as a language and mm. I don't, I don't like the way that it's been inaccessible to a lot of people for a long time. And there was a, a long time where music was, uh, there was one way in and it was through classical training and you had yeah. to do grades and you had to be a, a student in the formal sense. I think that's that's completely changed now and I'm over the moon about that. So I think anyone can learn music in some form or another. And if people find they don't have the dexterity to play the guitar, they can sing or they can play other instruments. And I've, taught music quite a lot over the years to people who thought they couldn't learn it and yeah. i've made it my mission to prove that they can um and it's such a wonderful thing that there's a place for everyone in music somewhere and even you know within choirs there's usually some people who maybe aren't the best singers but when they find their place and they find what they can do mm. it's a joyous thing so i think practice makes perfect at anything um although i've had a lot of practice and i'm far from perfect I 
I think the fact that I've been very privileged to have music as my job for my entire adult life means that I am always practicing and I'm always mm. learning new things. And so I do find myself out of my comfort zone. And for this pop project that I'm doing some session work for at the moment, I spent four hours recording a guitar part yesterday that should have taken 20 minutes because it was just a load of weird shapes that my hand isn't used to making on the guitar so mm. i just had to do it over and over and over and over again and it sounds totally unexceptional but i just wanted to get it perfect so mm. uh i'm yeah i'm really glad that I, I don't find myself getting bored or uh, there's not too much repetition in what i do so mm. yeah the the learning how to accompany people and collaborate with people i do a lot of that by myself here where no one can see how crap i am and how many mistakes it takes to get it right <laughs> um in, in the studio then so this is work more as a producer is it or you produce other people's uh records and stuff yeah well this particular thing i'm talking about is working for another producer i'm just being sent songs to do record parts uh-huh. for because i so it's a remote one of the things that I do quite a lot of, which is proving particularly useful at this time of um, enforced isolation, is <laughs> yeah. remote session recording. So yeah. people send me their song and some instructions and I just uh, do my bit. Or sometimes people send me a song and a MIDI recording of how exactly how they want the bass to go. And I'll just put mm. that onto a, a real instrument. But yeah, uh, half the time doing that remote session work and the other half the time producing as well, which usually involves me playing a whole load of instruments on people's songs. Often I get people come in with a guitar and a voice and then they want an entire production. So the album that I'm working on at the moment for a, an artist from Bristol who goes by the name of Heligan, um, he's come in with one guitar part and vocals and some ideas and then we've layered it up into these sort of 30-piece songs with usually me rushing between instruments <laughs> trying to trying to fill it out or hiring in other session musicians mm. Is that more interesting than somebody coming in with like, I want you to play this, I'm going to play this, that's the stuff, record me? They're both interesting because sometimes people come in with a very fixed idea of what they want and it wouldn't be what I would have done. Yeah. And so I always, I never assume that I know best because um, I've opened my mouth too many times with my great idea and just been proven wrong. So it's it's quite humbling to always try whatever someone comes to me with as the idea for the song and they you know they might be insistent on something that I think is maybe not the right thing for it but we'll always give it a go and often yeah. I find myself learning learning great new ideas like that and yeah for some people they they're incredibly particular about what baseline they want and I think well I'm a bass player and that to me doesn't sound like what a bass should be doing and then I do it and go god that's amazing I never would have <laughs> thought of that so yeah always always have your ears open when you're collaborating from the other point of view as an artist working with producers there's been times when they've suggested stuff and you're like oh, I don't know if that's going to work and it's usually a very small technical thing that I just wouldn't have thought of but you're like oh no you've made it sound like a, a track there <laughs> whereas yeah. before it was a song it's, that, it's a different thing isn't it a song and a uh, record is a different thing and that marriage between the two is is the important bit I think yeah to my mind the role of producer which I try to do the best I can is um best described as like translating the song from the artist's head into the best possible yeah. actual recording it can be and in the way that people will enjoy it the most so 
I focus quite a lot of my energy as producer not in like putting down mad ideas and going, oh, I can hear this really lush, dissonant string and brass quintet on this. It's not about that. It's just sometimes about getting someone to play the song exactly as they played it and just altering a couple of breathing points in the song or a down strum on a guitar for an up strum in a certain place and just making tiny little tidying up changes that yeah. make the song easier to digest as a listener. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And isn't there an element, I guess, of being like an editor or a director where you, you're bringing the best out of the person when possibly they haven't even quite seen it themselves yet either? Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, I work with a lot of people who uh, it's their first time recording mm. and I really love that process because a lot of people that I've worked with have come into the studio thinking, oh, I'll probably make something okay. And they've come out feeling so proud of what they've made that I can't believe that that's me. One of the great pleasures producing is working with people for the first time who don't have that much expectation of themselves. And then me sort of encouraging a bit and enabling and uh, helping people with confidence. That's one of my favourite things is just having like having the opportunity to show people what they're capable of. And I think part of that comes from having having been a music teacher before. Um, yeah, it's creating an environment where people feel comfortable to fail because I know a lot of musicians are frightened of going into intimidating studio circumstances because some big shiny professional studios where they've had all the famous acts in you think well I don't want to go there and just look like an amateur in front of these people they've they've worked with all the big names and so actually uh, that works in my favor with my little studio because I get people who want to sort of try it out in a low risk environment first um yeah and that's that's a, a big part of the job to me is is creating that environment where they can where they can experiment and where they can be vulnerable and where they can get it wrong and not not feel embarrassed. Yeah, because so often, you know, creating from embarrassment isn't necessarily the best um, the best space to be in, but is it? But being vulnerable certainly is. You need to be able to to show that side of yourself, I guess, when you're doing creative things. How common amongst the musicians you've worked with? Is that because I always find it interesting to talk to people who appear to be very doing really well and really super duper musicians, but actually, oftentimes there's some part of what they do that they aren't massively confident about or they have hang ups with. Do you find that with people that you've worked with, either as a player or as a producer? There are certainly a lot of people that I've met and worked with who are incredibly confident where they maybe don't have the skills to back it up and vice versa. Yeah. Certainly. And I know that I, when I was younger, I was incredibly arrogant and cocky and thought that I was the best at what I did. And I've, I've had a major turnaround in the last five years of my life, partly to do with uh, giving up alcohol and and drugs and a Mm. messy past that I had behind me and um, becoming a bit more aware. But I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of arrogant young musicians. And I think you put them in a a studio environment and you can inspect what it is they're doing and yeah you know not that i'm here to break egos or teach anyone a lesson but i have worked with some people who think they're amazing because their shows go down really well and then they get into a studio and realize that they aren't that good at playing in time or singing in tune but it's okay because you can work on it and learn these things and if, uh, only if you're willing mm. to um and you know conversely i've had people that i've worked with who 
think that they're not much good and they're sort of expecting the worst and they've actually turned out to be amazing because they've put in mm. all the work but they're just not very confident people so yeah it's a different thing in a way isn't it the a fantastic show or a popular artist does not necessarily equate to being a great musician does it and vice versa it's a really weird they're slightly different things at times aren't they i think they're totally separate things there are great showmen and showwomen that i know who put on fantastic shows who aren't amazing at playing their instruments or singing but it's a show isn't about that and that's why there are certain mm. musicians who don't translate to record particularly well because it's about the energy of the performance that's the thing yeah. that people love about them is is the performance and so i've been to see bands that are like really high energy and really exciting explosive show and i've taken the cd home with me and gone oh it just sounds like a a normal band playing songs and it's mm. a, a sort mm. of a slight disappointment but yeah they are they are very different things i i see myself as much better at performing than i am at recording having recorded myself singing so many times now i find that i'm actually really out of tune even though i shouldn't be because i sing for a living i can't actually sing in tune mm. that well it's not a great advert is it <laughs> <laughs> but uh, quite a few singers have said that when i've been talking to them for this because that's that's been one of my hang-ups over the years as well it's it, but it's something i've i've realized over time is like when I know something well, I sing in tune brilliantly. Mm. And when I'm working on it, when I'm working on something new and it's new and my voice hasn't done it much, I can be out of tune. It's like when you start off, you're like, well, I'm a singer. I'm supposed to be in tune all the time. And then you just <laughs> learn, well, no, that's like saying you should know the guitar part without having practiced it or actually worked out what you're going to do. And that's the thing that the studio can do, I found, as a, as a songwriter. It's like, yeah, the chords are this, the guitar part does that. That's great because I've played it in my bedroom three or four times. Brilliant. But then when the red light's on and it needs to be correct, that's different. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really inspecting everything you do under a microscope because I think when you're playing live, you can get things a bit wrong and each mistake disappears in time. The second you've done it, it's gone and no one ever yeah. gets to see it again. But when you're recording it, you make a mistake and every time you hit play, it's there again and again and again. And that's yeah. why, that's where being a recording musician is so different to being a live performing musician. There are different set of skills, really. They are. I mean, I, I can compare it to bits of acting and stuff that I've done as well. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but yeah, um, I was involved in making a film, which was almost finished and now we've had to stop. But hey, oh. that's a different story. We were one one night shoot away from getting it done, I think, pretty much. But hey-ho. Um, there we go. But yeah, it's the same thing with that. So before that, any acting I'd done was on stage and you're responding to what the audience does and you can have amazing moments that are then gone. And it's the same with playing gigs. You know, that one show in the communion with the audience that night is unique and it's fantastic, but then you've got to start again the next time. Whereas the studio or filming, it's like your your vulnerabilities are exposed. It can be really uncomfortable. The gear doesn't work properly and you waste three or four hours trying to get that sorted. Oh. It's quite painful. And when that happens, then it once, kills the vibe because by the time you get yeah, around to finally recording your take, you kind of lost your energy a bit. That's another part of the skill of the recording musician though, isn't it? It's to be able to bring it at the right time and then hold on to it while you've got to be waiting for yeah. something else to happen. Absolutely. Um, but once it's created, I mean, it, nothing is ever perfect, but you, you've got it as good as you can get it at that moment, and that thing is going to exist forever. Um, yeah, and I'm, a, I'm quite a believer that you shouldn't over 
do things. You should practice things loads. And when you come into the studio, don't don't do thirty takes. I mean, I know I referred to that earlier about that was just a sort of arbitrary number that I picked, but mm. I don't really like that. I have done albums like that, and then you pick through thirty takes to find what was the best part. For you know, you mm. you end up with one syllable from one take and another syllable from another, and you can piece together a technically perfect, perfectly sung line. Then, but actually, it doesn't have any of the thread of a single performance, and so I much prefer the the, the version of doing it three times and then picking out the best bits mm. from three and accepting that there will be some imperfection in it, but there will also be the energy of a real performance. That, because that's what's so fascinating about it, isn't it? Like, because you have the technology to make things perfect, but then the stuff that you love, the music that you listen to, certainly for me growing up, wasn't perfect because it, it was played by humans. And there's some element of that which makes it really wonderful. Absolutely. But it's it's a it's a choice, isn't it? It's um it's taste. It's kind of it's weird, isn't it, to get the right balance? I find sometimes. Yeah, and there is a whole industry built around uh, perfectly corrected music now, and a lot of the pop mm. music market is all very technically perfect because there's all kinds of tuning. Um, you know, you can fine tune every single breath and every note that someone sings and bring it into perfect pitch. But that isn't really the the realm that we work in, the folk and singer songwriter world. That isn't. Mm. Nah, that's that's not what it's about, really. And when you do hear folk albums that are produced to that degree of perfection, they just sound a bit weird to me. I think I really love albums that are recorded the old-fashioned way, where you you know you get a whole band recording at once rather than multi-tracking. Mm. And you know it's not always a possibility for logistical reasons, but occasionally I get to do an album like that, and I really enjoy it all the more because the pressure's on. You've got to be quite an experienced recording musician to do that. If there's four of you playing at once and one of you makes a mistake, then you've ruined it for everyone. Yeah. So you've got to be pretty well rehearsed. But you also, um, you lower your threshold, or well, you raise your threshold of acceptance. Um, and I've just done an album recently um, with Emily Barker, with my, my wife and her band. And we rehearsed quite a lot for it, but not too much. And we recorded loads of it live. Um, in this beautiful studio called Studios in um, uh, Southwest Wales. It's an old converted mm. chapel and they've got a, loads of beautiful vintage gear there and they record things the old-fashioned way as much as possible. Um, and there's, yeah, it feels a bit more special then. You feel like we're not going to spend six weeks getting this perfect. We're here for a week to make an entire album. Therefore, we're going to make it the best it can be in that time, not the best it could possibly ever be with, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I love, that's one of the things I love about it, though. It's like, it's that sort of alchemy, isn't it, of what is, what's great, what's perfect, what's right. They're not necessarily the same no. same thing, are they? There's been artists, again, that I've seen. And, and I think the other thing is music doesn't necessarily exist in a vacuum either because, you know, you see someone at a gig and you enjoy the stories behind the songs and you enjoy their presence. And that doesn't necessarily translate to a record, as you were saying earlier. Um, and it will mean a different thing to a different person. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And uh, I think it's very rare for a, anything, any piece of art to exist in a vacuum, particularly fans of things. You know, fans of bands tend to be buying into more than just the music, which is, is a weird thing to say as a musician because I'm not belittling the music and its importance. No. But it's part of an overall package. 
Absolutely. And that's why I think it's quite important that as a musician, if you are going to pedal your wares around the country to uh, not be a dick as well. <laughs> it's a... Uh, well, that was something I wanted to ask about, actually. Because, oh, because you know, of my reputation, I, yeah. Because so. yeah, what I've heard from everybody else... <laughs> no, it's that thing, if you've collaborated with so many people and working people, and and you've got to be a good musician, but then nobody's going to want to spend a lot of time with someone who is hard work and a dickhead, I think. And there are get people like that around, I guess, but it's it's like a job interview, isn't it? You don't necessarily have to be the best at the job. You just have to be the person that people can imagine spending time with and working with. This could this could mean one or two things for me. This could mean that because I've collaborated with so many people in the past, maybe they all worked with me and didn't want to work with me again. And that's why I've got such a <laughs> list of past collaborators. Um, you're probably better off speaking to the people I work with now to ascertain that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like you only ever did one gig with most of those people. I guess there are some fairly people. long-lived projects. Yeah, <laughs> and there's some people that there's some people I've worked with who I thought, you know what, I don't want to do this again. Um, well, exactly. If it's too hard, yeah. as in the too hard work, however great the music is, I mean, all the, I suppose the music would have to be really amazing to yeah. put up with someone who was really hard. Or the money, you know, if the money's really good. Or the money. I have made a point yeah, of mostly playing folk, so that's never really something I have to worry about. The money being too good. <laughs> you, you've not followed the money quite so much. <laughs> no, maybe not. But you know, it's it's interesting. I've learned as I've got older not to waste my life doing things that I don't enjoy because I did spend a lot of my time doing that when I was younger. I played with bands where I wasn't. I didn't really feel like I fitted in. I wasn't really loving the music, but I was enjoying mm. the experience of touring and being on stage. And I, I played with a band for a long time where I was. Um, it was great. There was nothing wrong with the music. I loved the music and I loved the people. But what I didn't love particularly was that we didn't change the set for years and i got to tour all over europe with that band and play some huge stages at festivals and and do massive you know tours for months at a time supporting some big artists and doing our own tours and i i loved everything about it except for the fact that i got a bit bored of the fact that i was playing the same music every night and they weren't Mm. that interested in changing the set that much um and I did that for about five years. I was with that band and, and a few other projects on the side. And when I finally plucked up the courage to leave it, I went, oh, geez, this is so much better. I just don't want to ever waste my time doing things that don't make me happy. And as a musician, mm. you're meant to be like, this is a really privileged position to be in. Um, not many people get to do this kind of thing for a job. So you might as well make sure that you do it well and worthwhile um, and don't, don't play music that you hate playing and don't work with people that you hate working with. Cause I do know people who are working with people that they don't like or play music they don't like just because they feel they have mm. to. And that's a shame. Yeah. It's kind of soul destroying, isn't it? And it's hard to be, again, it's, I guess it's not feeling creative, isn't it? If you, if you're doing stuff, you've already done a load of times. Yeah. It's that thing about being comfortable again that we were talking about earlier. Like I guess it's some element you want some danger to stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. The danger for me in that band was that I I took to drinking loads because I would push my boundaries and I'd actually drink before gigs and I'd go on stage Mm. in front of, you know, sometimes thousands of people and I'd be well drunk and sort of see if Mm. I could get away with it. And I did, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Because you were quite comfortable with the plane, I guess, so it didn't matter that you were. Yeah. Although I was probably making a fool of myself in the process, but yeah. Yeah, but do you feel like you it was worth going through that 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't regret anything, but I'm glad I'm glad of what I learned from that and other experiences as well. You know, I've done projects where I've invested it all and done the best I possibly can and then come out of it and gone, mm. well, that just wasn't the right thing for me, but I gave it my best shot. So, yeah. Mm. God, it's so such a weird world, isn't it? Like, obviously, any <laughs> career is like this, but certainly this stuff, because it's, I find it tricky. There's no right and wrong answer, is there? Like, Something could be objectively really awful piece of music, but outside of that, people are going to like it and people are not going to like it. So it's really, you know, no right and wrong answers. And nobody really quite prepares you for that when you get into it. Or I didn't feel like they did anyway. You know, schooling is so much about this is the correct answer, this is the wrong answer, this is the method of doing things, but it's just not really like that in the real world. No, and and I think you make decisions as a musician and other people will not necessarily always agree with you. And I've I've seen that, you know, mm. when an artist releases a new album and it's got a different sound to their previous album. And uh, sometimes online, people don't hold back from sharing their opinions with you. And that can be quite damaging to a musician who's trying to uh, be true to themselves creatively. And then um, and there will be certain fans who love that and certain fans who hate it. And sometimes mm. <laughs> people who hate it don't mind telling you. Uh, or they'll, you know, I bumped into someone who uh, was a massive fan of the band that I was talking about earlier that I left. I bumped into him at Glastonbury mm. last summer, and he was drunk, and he came up to me and he gave me a massive rant about how it's the most stupid thing I ever did. Why did you leave them? Why you? What did you go and do that really? for? Hey, and like you, I bet you regret that now. And I was like, well, no, just because you love that band, it doesn't mean that it's for me. Oh, I had to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's such a such a matter of taste. How does that affect you, like in terms of criticism and stuff? Then, do you is that something that you find difficult over the years? Or are you able to just sort of let that not affect you? Um, I find my own criticism to myself is probably the toughest thing to manage, and that's why I've I've put less and less time into doing my own solo projects over the years. Partly because I'm working with better and better musicians as I go on through my career I'm working at a higher level with other people and whenever I do that Mm. it just makes me realize how far behind my own songwriting has become because I've not practiced it and I've not put the time in um but I've not what I've not suffered too much with criticism from others I'm very accepting of the fact that not everything is to everyone's taste however Mm. if I'm stood on stage by myself singing my own songs I'm terrified that people are going to hate it which is why I've kind of stopped doing it pretty much entirely and when you're working on other people's projects then i guess certainly in the studio but as a um a bass player or a session musician or whatever is there a a songwriting element to that as well maybe less of a holistic songwriting but more just uh yeah more production and more like i i understand band arrangement and i understand the relationships between Mm. the instruments and harmonically what works well and what doesn't and i'm very confident in that but like i said earlier i don't i don't mistake my own confidence for correctness i'm aware that just because mm. i'm confident doesn't mean i'm right but yeah I'll, I'll gladly poke my head up and say i think we should do this give it a try but um yeah i don't people come in to record with me and sometimes they write songs that i wouldn't have written but i would never dream of telling someone to rewrite or I'll sometimes suggest a rearrangement of something or a different way of phrasing something if I think maybe a, a line of a song is too cluttered and I can hear a better way of phrasing mm. it in my head. Then I'll, yeah, I'll do very minute bits of songwriting, but I can't, I, I appear to have lost the ability to write an entire song from start to finish just because I haven't done it for such a long time. And I've been mm. focusing my energies on uh, on this instead, on production and accompaniment. 
Is it something that you would like to do again, your own project? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, but it's that thing of finding the time for it and being, uh, well, I suppose now I've probably got loads of time for it, actually. But Yeah, that was going to be, I was uh, wondering whether to say that or not. Well, <laughs> so it's going back to what we said at the start, but, it, you know, practice, it is an opportunity, I guess. For Yeah, practice makes perfect. And now I do have probably more space to practice than I've had in years because I I keep a pretty busy, busy calendar. Um usually so maybe i could but then one of the things that i do i measure myself against other people which you know most most humans do and um mm. my wife is such an amazing and accomplished songwriter that i can't help but measure my own output against hers she's released 10 albums of her own songs already in her life and all to a pretty high level and all to higher acclaim as well and i find that whenever i do write something I sort of compare it to one of her songs and think, oh, geez, I'm just crap. I'm such an amateur. And so that makes me stop again. So it's not really her fault. Um, she's done nothing but encourage me. But I do find myself mm. feeling like an amateur by comparison. And again, with Tobias, who I work with, he he writes the songs in our duo and he's such an amazing writer. Um, yeah, I just I'm in I'm in awe of people who can write that well. I need to put a lot of time in to get that good. It's interesting, you know, you know, just talking to people who from the outside would just seem like they've got stuff sorted. And there's there's always some element of it where they feel those kind of Oh, everyone's got their insecurities for sure. And everyone I know who, you know, all the people that I'm really close to who are great musicians are insecure in some way or another. You know, if it's not, maybe it's not necessarily about their writing or their performance, but maybe people have, you know, insecurities about the way they look on stage or something like that. There'll always be something because mm. it's just human nature, isn't it? To to not feel 100% yeah. confident. And I'm usually wary of anyone who is 100% confident. Yeah, that, those people are pretty objectionable, aren't they? That's the <laughs> yeah, right. that's where you've got to... That's where you got to watch out, I guess. Okay. Um, usually at this point, I would ask people what they've got coming up that we can check out. <laughs> Things are a bit different at the moment. Another former guest on your podcast, Kirsty Merrin, has organised Home Folk Festival, which is um, a response to the fact that all of the musicians can't get out and gig and all of the you know gig goers can't go to the gigs. So she's organised an online streaming festival. And I know a lot of people are doing online gigs at the moment, but this is a an entire festival. You pay for a ticket for the whole thing and it's over the weekend of the 11th and 12th of April. And I'm actually going to be performing solo at that, which is uh, having having just having just talked about my uh, my inadequacies as a solo performer i'm playing at um 4 p.m on the 11th of april and the information about that is on kirsty merrin's website so i think it's just kirsty merrin.com and there's info on there or maybe it's .co.uk and i'm misleading people so yeah. great is that the saturday or the sunday that's the saturday yeah. Well, I'm playing on the Saturday too, so ah, it's very important that people get tickets absolutely. for the whole weekend. She's got some fabulous people actually lined up for that. It's such a um, great lineup, and I've heard recently that there is a, an additional guest performer that's just—I don't know if the name has been announced yet—but there is a as a special guest. It's a bit special, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's—I'm um, sure that would have come out by the time we did this. But everyone, check out that and. Um, 
it's really cool. There are a lot of people doing online stuff. Me and Minnie Birch have done a couple of online concerts just to replace Wonderful. the ones that we would have been playing. But then there's this new problem now, <laughs> which is a lot of the sort of uh, fans are like, there's more gig clashes than there were in real life. Yeah, now. right. It's really tricky. I suppose but, people you know, no longer all... have the uh, restriction of a geography. They could actually go to every yeah. that's happening. So. That's it. That's one of the things about the technology, isn't it? Like we can communicate with everyone in the world, which is great. But then we're also competing with every artist in the world. It's not just the people in your town. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's everybody in the world and everybody who's ever existed as well. But indeed, I but mean, it's all good. We're, we're it, this is a great time for music fans actually, if they've got time off at home and the internet, and all the musicians mm. are putting on great live shows from their homes. And you know, it's it's a wonderful time to be a music fan. You can really get your fix now. That's right. It'll be so interesting to see where we are when there's some sort of conclusion to the current situation. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll remember how to put a PA system together and uh, speak to people (laughs) face-to-face ever again. (laughs) I think the whole of society is going to be looking at a lot of things quite differently, aren't they, over the next few weeks and then into the the months ahead. I think people Um, are really going to value things differently. And I think certainly stuff like gigs... And uh, sports events and outdoor things. I'm already noticing around where I live. I'm doing my my one exercise a day is uh, hopping on my bike yeah. and cycling two miles straight uphill. And there's so many people out cycling, which I'm not used to seeing. I think people have suddenly discovered yeah. that um, being outdoors and exercising is a privilege. And b- being able yeah. to go to gigs is a privilege. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to maybe put more people onto it, I hope. <laughs> I think so. I I think so. It's it's just whether, it's how many people can survive in the meantime, I guess. Um, I mean, I know a lot of musicians diversify and do like, you know, I I teach and I'm able to do a lot of that online and and the stuff. But then I know that there are people who almost 100% of it is about performing live. So it's it's interesting how how they're going to cope for the next few months, I guess. It's going to be a difficult time for a lot of people for sure. But hopefully we can... and not just in music, we know, of course, so many careers are, are threatened at the moment, but um, we shall see how things go. Indeed, we've just got to keep on looking after each other and uh, doing our best to support one another and yeah, give give generously to those who need it more than we do, I think is, is the main thing. I think that's exactly right. And it's just sort of take comfort in the small things as well. The things that we've maybe forgotten about, which we have got a chance to kind of... Even if it's just reading, I hope you know a lot of people are reading those books that they've had on the shelf for two or three Christmases. <laughs> well, this you is because I did laugh about this, but as soon as this lockdown became a thing, I automatically just got excited about the fact that I can read more because I'm I'm an avid reader mm-hmm. and I love the fact that there's more time for it now and the sun's been shining, so I can sit in my back garden and uh, digest some yeah. books. Which, you know, and there's so many things that actually, if we were really honest, they're the things that make us happy and we just feel that we haven't got time for them. Like people who are now spending a lot of time with their kids when they're normally at work. As as we were saying, that must be quite hard in some ways, but actually isn't that supposedly what we're doing all the other stuff for, those little pleasures? So perhaps we should, you know, have a chance to enjoy them. I will see how many people try and divorce their children after this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's that thing, isn't there, apparently in China after they came out of the, the... you know, month long lockdown, there was 80 odd divorces straight away or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Lucas, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Robert, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch. Let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you. Till next time, goodbye.